0: Uh, It's been a joy to be here with you. I've I've enjoyed um, being loved on, being cared for, being a part of what's going on in this church. And I have great hope for what God's going to do and continue to do here. Um, Let's pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And would you use this, your inspired word, to change us, to do what is needed. If we need spiritual surgery, would you do that? If our eyes have glazed over, take off the cataracts. If our ears have become dull, pull out the wax. If our brains have become dull, excite it. And Father, if our hearts have become hardened because of sin, would you break them and cause them to bleed? Father, use us, we pray, and use this this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. My goal of this sermon is for you to recognize Jesus as our exalted Savior, and you would be encouraged more and more to run to his throne of grace. That's my overarching goal. Last Sunday, we started on this genealogy of Jesus, Jesus. and we saw uh, a number of relatives that Jesus had in the genealogy. And we saw Matthew, this first gospel, that this genealogy was weird. If, for all the Jews that would read it, they would go, Oh, wait, that's not how genealogies usually come out. And there were five ladies mentioned. And we looked at them last week of Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and then the teenage girl called Mary. Today I want to continue taking a magnifying glass and looking a little bit at this passage, um, and we're going to look, the women are gone, we're going to look at some of the men. It's only fair. Last Sunday I mentioned that every family has drama. Is that still true today? We could all agree with that. Let me just share with you a little trauma and drama (laughs) that happened in my extended family. Um, My wife has a sister who has three adult children now. And I'll never forget, the oldest granddaughter um, was at our lake house over in, in Lake Tillery, and her boyfriend came, and that's when he proposed. And it was all exciting and everything. We wondered why her, his folks came. We didn't know they were coming. And uh, all of a sudden, they're engaged, and it's, we're all excited about it. They get married. Four years later, they get divorced. Sad, but that wasn't the real trauma or drama. It was because, um, This granddaughter, her name's Heidi, um, her mom was so ashamed because, evidently, that's the first divorce that had ever happened in their family, and that had been a point of pride, and it really hit her, the mom, hard because she had this vision of her family was the James Dobson kind of family that everything was always great, right, which is unrealistic. As a result, the mom wouldn't tell the grandmother we call Meemaw about it. Just, you know, the name that shall not be named kind of thing. We're not going to talk about it. Well, if you're intuitive at all, you know what that would do for Heidi. She already feels bad about the divorce, but then to have her mother ashamed of her so much that she would feel like her mother, her grandmother, not, would not want to talk to her because Heidi had sullied the name of the family. Um, Lynn and I, when we found out about that, we we went to go visit Heidi and just tried to love on her, because Lynn had a clear understanding of what it was to be the black sheep, <laughs> because she was the black sheep of of Mima of that family. And um, so much so that when she married, you know, a a terrible guy like me, (laughs) that her mother, meanwhile, wouldn't allow any of of that family to come to our wedding, which did a deal on Lynn, right? So you can imagine the shame upon shame, and Lynn, you know, um, would be able, you know, to hold and hug Heidi and show her grace. Um, Thankfully, Heidi is now... Uh, happily married, and doing great. But every family does have drama. Um, Just think, as a result of going through this genealogy, we're seeing, we're pulling back some of the things that we used to skip when we read the book, right? Oh, all these names, (laughs) let's go down to Mary and and Jesus. Um, But for the Jews that knew their Old Testament, when they read this genealogy, they knew the rest of the story and they go oh oh yes that's true we know that about her and him um so today we're going to look at those dads and i want to start with judah verse three the father of perez and zara by tamar well we already talked about tamar and the horrific story that is but there's more to that story that i didn't mention Not only did he sleep with a prostitute who happened to be his daughter-in-law in in disguise, but he was the one who came up with the master plan, you might remember, of selling his brother into slavery, who was Joseph, who ended up in the dungeon of Egypt. Um, His betrayals are legendary, but he also is the very one that God says this, the scepter, the rule of God, the covenant-keeping, gracious God shall not depart from Judah Now listen if he can claim Judah he can claim someone like me and you um i mean if you say wait, wait 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 a second Judah he sold his brother into slavery he raised bad kids he slept with his daughter-in-law and when he found out she was pregnant he wanted to have her killed and burned until he um, realized it was his daughter-in-law, and then the shame came over him, and everybody knew, and so that he didn't kill her. You, we want to say, unqualified, unqualified, take him out of the family. But he's not the only one. Uh, let's go on a little bit, because it gets worse. We need to go back all the way to Abraham. You said, wait, wait, Abraham is a man of faith. He is. He's the one who went to a far country that they didn't know because God told him to go. But on that journey, he gave his wife away twice to other men. Did you remember that? And then he did not have the patience that the Lord's promise was going to happen, that he would become a dad and then a father of nations. So he slept with his wife's maid. And then of all things, his wife got upset about that. And so he took his son, biological son, and the wife's maid and sent him out to die in the desert he planned basically the murder of his child and the child's mother and i discussed david last week not only abraham and but david he yes at one point he was and still is called a man after god's own heart but at another he was a jerk after another man's wife both are true adulterer murderer father of some bad children at the end of his life And this might be some of the worst that he did. At the end of his life, that he had experienced the blessings and goodnesses of God. Remember, he was the one who said Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his tens of thousands, that he was the warrior king, all that. He was always successful that way. And yet, at the end of his life, he decided that he would number his troops, which in essence is saying, look what I've done to be successful and he was taking glory that should have been ascribed to God and putting it upon himself. Look how I did this, how many troops I gathered, Uh, although it was obviously God that had provided him any success. What would you say about these men? Unqualified, unqualified. How are they in the line of Christ? Or should we say this? Worthy, worthy of glory and honor and power and blessing and glory is the God who would be gracious enough to cover the sin of men like these. You see, it's easy to get focused on these men or these women and forget the God that we're talking about today. You, w- you need to remember that this sermon is about real people. And when you wonder, I want you to remember this sermon later on when something happens in your family and you wonder if you can get off the floor. And you need to hear and remember these guys and that God was good them Jesus we ask the question Jesus can you deal with my mess he says I come from mess I can deal with your mess and now the part of Matthew 1 that we read the most in verse 18 now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way his name is Jesus the Old Testament from the Old Testament name Joshua it means deliverer because he was going to deliver his people And in verse 21, we are told, Mary will bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus. Why? They were told, because he will save his people from their sins. That that phrase is more powerful in light of the black backdrop and the harshness of the sins of the people in the genealogy because he will save his people from their sins. And if it was true of those in the genealogy, it's gonna be true of those who read it originally, and it's true of us at this date that he will save us from our sins. This was his plan from all along. He was planned from the beginning. It was a promise. It was his, a power, to be able to do this, to save his people from their sin. Verse 11 in our genealogy, it says, Josiah, one more dad, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah. And in the song Matthew Begats that Emma Rand sang to us, it talks about because he was a liar. Um, Not too many people are born Jeconiah today. There's some Davids, there's some Abrahams, but there's no Jeconiahs. Um, Because Jeconiah was the last king of Israel when the nation had any property left. They had just a sliver left, and it was just before the Babylonian captivity, and God so much desired that Jeconiah would return to him and would repent, but he would not do it. He would not return to God before the deportation, before Israel's final people were taken into Babylon, and the Lord got angry, and he sent Jeremiah the prophet to Jeconiah, and he said this, no seed, Jeconiah, or bloodline of yours will bear the Messiah. Even though you're in the line of David, no seed of yours will bear the Messiah. Uh-oh, we got a problem. If he's in the genealogy, in the line of David, and he's listed here, what, how are we going to work this out? And I think I mentioned it last week. There would have to be something miraculous like a virgin birth so that Mary would be the legal descendant of David through Jeconiah, but there would have to be a virgin birth because no seed of Jeconiah would produce the Messiah. It would have to be a virgin birth through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's really the story of the whole Bible. Ephesians 1.11 is a great verse to hold on to. It says, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And that applies here as well. And our Lord is, is about restoring what he's made and bringing salvation to his fallen creation. And in his plan, he involves sending his son, a savior, into the world to die for, his, for our sins, to take on the wrath of God, and then to raise he raised to life. In this genealogy, we see God working over thousands of years providentially to accomplish his plan, to work all things according to the counsel of his will. So the Emmanuel story from the beginning, and let me just sum up, I've done it before, but sum up the Bible real quick. We had it all in the garden. We lost it all and were thrown out of the garden. Jesus paid it all. We couldn't pay any of it. He paid for our sins so that we will get it all. That story, even though I've just summed it up very quickly, God has been working over generations and generations to accomplish. He knows how awful our mess is. He knows that we're unqualified. But he keeps coming closer and closer and closer to us. Because he is Emmanuel, God with us. And ultimately, his rescue plan for those of us in the mess. This is real. This is the gospel. When you feel like your mess is too big for Jesus, you need to be remembered, this genealogy. And remember the story. Um, I, have a, I have one boy and four girls. Tell you a little bit about um, my son. His name's Oliver, and he married a girl named Callie. And uh, they met at Wingate. Um, then they, they tried to have children and couldn't have children. So they started uh, fostering children. And uh, that went well. We fell in love with everyone, every kid <laughs> that they had. And um, at a certain point, they decided to adopt uh, from the fostering. And so uh, they adopted a, a little boy first. They, ought, they had a little girl and a little boy. and But... The system goes really slow in the courts, that sort of thing, and uh, they have to be, you know, there's all sorts of rigmarole to get, but it just worked out that it worked out with little Jojo first to be adopted. And so they had, um, you know, a a little thing uh, that that Callie thankfully videotaped of them telling Jojo that he was going to be adopted, that he would be their son forever. And JoJo smiled and beamed and everything, and uh, it was right before Thanksgiving, and, which was great. We were all happy, but um, the, the, the little girl was a little older, and at Thanksgiving, she says to her parents, they were at our house, and said, um, will I be here at Christmas they couldn't tell her one way or the other. You can't make that promise if you can't fulfill it, right? And um, but it was in the spring that they everything worked out, and they were at the lake, and they took a video, and they gave her a pic, a a, a, a like a not a picture, but something that had been drawn, written. I'm not crafty, but it said <laughs> um, it, it said her name, and the end was cross. And she goes, what is this? And she says, we're adopting you. And at first she didn't understand, then all of a sudden this big, giant smile comes on and she starts crying, happy tears. And she says, I can be with you forever? Every time I think about it, I start to cry. And But these two kids have needs, special needs, right? because there's a lot of effects from being abandoned. And so they have to be on a regiment, they have to, you know, but they have to be reminded every day that Oliver and Callie are not leaving and are not going anywhere. They adopted, they babysat for another foster family that had a little girl, Elizabeth. And uh, Elizabeth has a chromosomal issue And at that point, she could not feed herself. She could not stand. She was like three years old. She um, could not do hardly anything. Um, She had a physical therapist teaching her how to swallow. I mean, going back to basics. And then Oliver and Callie told us they were going to adopt Elizabeth, who would probably need care for the rest of her life thrilled us. I asked Oliver, we were alone one day, and I said, what was your thinking when you adopted my grandchildren? And he said, Dad, it just looked like the gospel to us. And when you think about that story, and you think about the gospel, that We were loved, we were cared for. When I think about God working all things to the counsel of his will, and I think about a little Elizabeth, who by the way now can, can scoot around with a little scuba and walk and stand and is swallow and has started saying some words, can't say a full sentence yet, but she's, because she thinks, I think because she's in that atmosphere, she's progressing much faster than she was. I think she was pretty much ignored before. Well, the story of Christmas is that we're not ignored. Now, I spent a decent amount of time talking about the people in this genealogy, but it's not primarily about the people. It's about what God did. The point of history and the focus of all time is Jesus. This passage reminds us and shows us our place in this picture. I want to end my sermon today with two quotes, and then I'll pray for us. Now, the first quote is from theologian Patrick Schreiner, and he puts it this way. Matthew's genealogy has a past, a present, and future. In Jesus Christ, we're now brought into his family. Abraham and David became our fathers. It becomes our genealogy, our family tree. Though this world seeks historical rooting and future life in various ways, only one child represents the new creation. Jesus is the point of this genealogy, for Jesus is the point of the Bible. Second quote by Tim Keller. There is no other religion that says God has suffered, that God had to be courageous, that he knows what it's like to be abandoned by friends, to be crushed by injustice, to be tortured and die christmas shows he knows what you're going through when you talk to him he understands let's talk to him now father i thank you for your word for the glories of the gospel that are ours not because we qualify but because our savior did not because we are worthy but because he is Not because we've cleaned up our mess, but because he came from the mess and knows how to embrace us in it. Would you teach us again, Father, what it means to be able to claim there's nothing in me, I've got nothing, I'm with Jesus, the one who died for me and claims me by his grace alone. I'm with him. Father, may that claim be ours, and may the joys and glories of this season be real in our hearts. And Father, I pray for those who have never come to the place to trust in the Savior. Father, would you work all things according to the counsel of of your will that you would bring them, that you would woo them, that you would draw them to yourself. And Father, I pray that they could be added to this church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.